Warning, Tongue and Geek contains heavy spoilers. If you haven't read, watched, or played the content being reviewed this episode, know that we will definitely spoil major plot points. Also, this show isn't for kids. We use words like and and it would take too much time and effort to edit them all out. Please don't tell our moms. Listeners, and welcome to Tongue and Cheer, where two more white guys on the internet give the gift of their unsolicited opinions on all things Holly and Jolly. I'm Isaac. I'm Tyler. And today we're reviewing Klaus, a 2019 animated film directed by Sergio Pablos, produced by his company Sergio Pablos Animation Studios, and distributed by Netflix. Tyler, you want to give us a bit of background on this one? Uh, yeah, it is actually a spanish production even though it's in the english language Mm -hmm. my favorite little bit of background is when we first saw it when it came out in 2019 i assumed that it was cgi animation made to look like 2d animation no but it's actually kind of the opposite um it's 2d animation and they used kind of um new technology to, you know, mess with the lighting and the texturing to give it more of like a visual dimension, kind of like a kind of like a storybook. Make it look like it pops so, out. Um, yeah. Yep. This this film has some real power behind it too. Um Pablo's worked on Hunchback, Hercules, and Tarzan for Disney. Um animator James Baxter, who's just a fucking legend, worked on this film. It was co-written by Zach Lewis and Jim Mahoney. It's got like a all-star cast of like J.K. Simmons, Rashida Jones, Jason Schwartzman. This this movie had some power behind it. Yep. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't on my radar. You put it on my radar because I tend to ignore Christmas movies unless they're warped or subversive in some way. <laughs> so <laughs> you're like, we got to watch Klaus this Christmas. It's amazing. And I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> this was actually <clears throat> the first animated film from a streaming service that was nominated for an Academy Award. Yep. Which is, I guess it's not too surprising because... Believe it or not, streaming services are still fairly new, even though they control the fucking market at this point. Yeah. And there's been all kinds of, like, debate on, like, if, you know, if streaming films should be considered for awards and all that nonsense. Which is bullshit. That's just Hollywood (laughs) self-masturbatory crap trying to... Yeah. Yeah. Trying to hold on to their antiquated ways. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Klaus. Klaus. Isaac, what is Klaus about? Klaus is the story, it's sort of an alternate history story of Santa Claus, uh, the origin story of Santa Claus that's set in a fictional setting sort of based on 19th century Europe, but not actually like any real country or nation or anything. It follows the the postman... Jesper. Jesper, yes. It's been like a week since I've watched this. Uh, it follows the postman Jesper, who's very like a sort of Cusco from Emperor's New Groove style person. He's a spoiled uh, brat. I was going to say, yeah, Cusco vibes. Yeah, he's a spoiled brat. He's living the high life, not do- contributing at all. His dad's like the head of the postman academy or whatever, which apparently delivers to every country in Europe or something. So his dad, in order to, you know, make his son 
become self-sufficient and everything, sends him out to this little dingy town called Smearinsburg out in the middle of nowhere and tells him to, like, get a thousand letters by Christmas or by the New Year or something in order to prove that, like, he can actually take care of himself and be a real man and everything. Jesper goes out there. He has this horrible time because he finds out that everyone in Smearinsburg belongs to one of two families, either the Crumbs or the Ellingbows, which brings up some real questions about the incestuous relationships that keeps that bloodline pure. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't think about it. Don't. I think, think it's I it. think it's kind of suggested in the background, <laughs> considering the way some of those characters look. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> but uh, basically, everybody in this town belongs to one of two families. They hate each other, and they've been fighting each other since time immemorial. And because of this, none of them deliver letters to each other. They just communicate through violence. Uh, so Jesper is having no luck getting any letters until he comes across Klaus, a loner in the woods who has a whole bunch of toys that he doesn't seem to be using uh and jesper comes up with this idea of hey i can deliver these toys if i get the kids to send letters to klaus so it sets up the whole like premise of sending letters to santa claus and having him deliver a toy to you uh in response so it does a lot of building up the sort of traditions of the Santa mythos, like sending letters to Santa, him delivering the gifts, coming down the chimney, yada yada. But it does this all in, like, through the lens of Jesper, this postman, who's kind of running it as a grift the whole time. What I appreciate most about this movie Mm -hmm. is that Aside from being, um, hey, you want a you want a tragic backstory Santa Claus movie? This is the one for you. Um, <laughs> very very Pixar esque in its tragic backstory for our dual protagonist. Mm-hmm. I like how I mean, there's been plenty of alternate takes of the Santa Claus mythos in in fiction before, but this one found a new way to to make it fresh and to make it clever. I like how pretty much all of the traditions that we associate with Santa Claus and all the lore comes mostly from Jesper. And it's all accidental, Um, which is like brilliant. The whole like flying reindeer pulling the sleigh thing comes from a bit where they're literally being chased off a cliff and like they barely survive and like the reindeer like falling through the air and some kid sees them out the window and thinks, the reindeer can fly! It's just like, they do such a good job of setting up like how things that are so mundane and like grounded in reality could be construed by a child's mind as magic. And it takes some of the more kind of like staunch rules of Santa Claus, like, oh, you better behave. He he watches you. He knows when you're sleeping and when you're awake. They they don't make it a rule of, of Klaus's. It's, it's something Jesper comes up with to like, you know, keep the kids in line and to continue his 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 mailing grifts. Yeah. Because you know, he's like, oh, you guys won't get the presents that he makes if you don't behave. So that steamrolls into the kids, you know, behaving and doing altruistic deeds and stuff like that. And um, even even going down the chimney when the Jesper first meets Klaus, he sees a, f- a picture that a kid drew and he's like, he drew <laughs> the kid drew like representation of himself trapped in his house like a prison. <laughs> and, and, and this touches Klaus's heart and he wants to deliver a toy to him. And there's dogs and danger. So Klaus just chucks Jesper down the chimney to get him out of the way. (laughs) And that's where the chimney myth comes from. Mm -hmm. And 
during the montage of, you know, deliveries, um, Jesper grabs the cookie that's been out and eats it. And he steals their know, cookies, basically. Yeah. Cuts to a kid saying, leave cookies out. He loves cookies. So like all the all the things that we just know of Santa Claus have a really cute little practical-ish origin in this movie and, mm. it, and, it, and it really works. And sort of a, a, like a mean-spirited because it's all coming from Jesper who's just sort of this you know selfish jerk who's going through the arc of becoming more selfless. So like a lot of these traditions that we see of like the holly jolly Saint Nick are actually just Jesper kind of being an ass like as he goes about his <laughs> task of like collecting letters and everything which is hilarious. And at first I wasn't because I've seen it twice when it first when it came out a couple years ago and just now for the pod. Mm -hmm. I didn't remember too much of the beginning of it. Yeah. And both times I remember feeling like, ah, I don't know if I want to be on board with the, the whole trope of selfish asshole, self-centered asshole learns to like warm up and open up mm -hmm. arc. But it's kind of understated ish in this movie, which is refreshing. Like there's no huge like liars reveal there's this kind of a liars reveal trope, but it's, it's it's more of a misunderstanding than a liars reveal but his his sort of like growth to falling in love with the town and what he's doing Feels genuine. seems pretty natural it's not like yeah it's not like overwrought there's not like too many moments of like let's stop and reflect and teach the lesson of the movie it, his, his character progression is is pretty natural mm-hmm and we get to see, I think what makes it work here, because the whole, like, selfish asshole become, learns to become, like, a good person thing. It is a very overused storyline, but um, I think what makes it work here is, one, it's in the context of a Christmas film, which is all about this idea of generosity and selflessness, but two specifically to this film is this idea of generosity sparking more generosity and literally the line, a true selfless act always sparks another, which Klaus says early in the movie and gets repeated a few times. Like this core message of like selflessness is always reciprocated. Klaus is doing this because he wants to help these kids and his selflessness kind of rubs off onto Jesper as they're going along because Jesper is seeing how like this act of kindness, this act of like giving toys to these children in this hate spotful filled town is actually making people's lives better and how he's playing a part in that. It makes him feel better about himself and makes him actually realize that like life can have meaning beyond just hedonistic pleasure that I've been enjoying this whole time. And nothing wrong with a little bit of hedonism. Nothing wrong with a little um, bit of hedonism. Ethically, <laughs> ethical hedonism. That's the motto we try to live by. Mm -hmm. um, there's also there's also a theme of tradition that I really like. And yeah. how traditions can be warped to be negative and bitter and spiteful. Which is or positive and giving. It's a really interesting angle for a Christmas film to take to be sort of anti-tradition like this movie is. Because the whole thing between the Crumbs and the Ellingbows is that, like, they don't have an origin for their hatred of each other. There's no inciting incident. They literally have a whole scene where they explain that, like, we have always hated each other since the beginning of time, going so far back as to have, like, a rock from, like, the Stone Age with, like, pictures of caveman that, paintings. Of little... Yeah. <laughs> like, going all the way... One of my favorite gags. Yeah, it's like 
<laughs> they they don't have a reason to hate each other. They just do, and it's all based on tradition. For a Christmas film to be like this idea of breaking traditions, that's that's kind of revolutionary. Because a lot of Christmas films are all about like you know following the traditions of family and togetherness and gift giving and everything. Just like showing why those traditions are important. This film actually goes out of its way to show why these traditions aren't good and we should replace them with new ones that are more beneficial like showing like why it's important to develop beneficial well, good traditions. I don't know traditions. if you can hear me but you've been cut out for a good 20 seconds now. Ah shit hang on just a second. You hear me now? Yep. Anyway point I was making was this film goes out of its way to show why like we need to replace bad traditions with good ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I wish I heard your entire first point before you cut out because it sounded like a good one. But you'll hear it I in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I just kind of want to talk about class as a character already, unless unless you have something else you want to add. You want to jump into Klaus? Yeah, let's jump in. Let's jump into Klaus. Like with Jesper, initially I wasn't quite on board with how they introduced the character. Like because at first he's kind of framed like this big, scary, gruff woodsman. He's a scary um, Santa. Yeah. And, like, I'm like, eh, eh it seems kind of like an obvious thing to go with. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know why, like, I was so quick to judge the movie <laughs> with every decision it made. But he's not a scary Santa. That's just how Jesper initially sees him. Mm-hmm. Like, you think because of his size, he's, he's like, fucking huge like the Kingpin in Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> um, you think because of his size and the way he's dressed that he's going to be, like, a grouchy, grumpy sort of, like character that needs to like warm his heart and like something like that but that's not it he's he's a good guy the entire time he's just withdrawn mm-hmm. and just dealing with his own sadness in, in in a secluded way which we find out as the movie progresses why he's up in a cabin all by himself with a bunch of toys and birdhouses and magic wind which i don't know if you plan this but uh, there's magic wing in both of the in both of the Christmas movies that we reviewed back to back with Magic Wing Godfathers and this. <laughs> that wasn't my intention, but it's it's a good catch because these are two of my favorite Christmas films, and they both involve Magic Wind. That's hilarious. Go I ahead. didn't want to cry. I didn't want to cry, but I fucking cried because it's so goddamn beautiful. <laughs> And I hate, I hate it. I hate it. At the um, ending or at all of it? The ending. Um, uh, the initial information reveal, while sad and moving, didn't get me, but the ending got me. Yeah. Um, you, you can, yeah. Watching the movie, you can piece together that something sad happened to Klaus. There's something going on with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but his big kind of opening up to Jesper is... You know, he had a wife and they loved each other and they were and they wanted kids. And he was just so excited that he just kept building toys to give to all the kids that they were going to have. And it just never happened for them. And then she got sick. And so there's a very up-esque sort of gut punch. Then she passes and then he's just sad and devastated. And you're just like, oh, Mm-hmm. Damn it! Why did I have to make Santa a tragic character? <laughs> but it works. It works so well. And a couple times, like there's this kind of like inexplicable sort of like supernatural tinged wind that like 
blows through the forest and where he lives. And you come to understand that it's like the essence or spirit or presence of his wife. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but we always jump the gun because we just kind (laughs) of talk where the, where the themes and conversation take us. But um, after the resolution of the main story, there's kind of a bit of an epilogue where for 12 years, um, Santa and Jesper continue their enterprise and it expands and all that good stuff. And um, on the 12th year, you know, Klaus is getting old. And <laughs> one day out chopping wood, the wind blows again. And then I, he just, I guess he feels it's time. And he just says, what does he say? I'm coming, love? Or yeah. I'm on my way, love? Or something like that. Yeah. And he just walks up the hill and, like, disappears into the wind. And it's like, oh, god damn it. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just twist the knife. Yeah. Just twist the knife. But he's not actually gone, gone. Because at the very end, no. we found out that, like, this is the beginning of Santa, the magical being who returns and gives gifts to children all over the world. Because... Jesper says once a night he gets to see his friend again. So, like, great all of- final line. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic great final, final line. line. It's also a very fascinating and, like, I think beautiful idea of earning this sort of immortality through a life well lived. Like, this idea of, like, Klaus became this immortal figure through his generosity. Like, yeah, I love how it's not explained. They don't want, they don't need to exposit like the rules on how he can become Santa and no. a supernatural being. It's, it's, it's all through the theme of the movie, mm-hmm. which I think is, it's, it's, pr- I think that's pretty brave for a family film to, mm-hmm. to be ambiguous that way. Yeah. Because this movie doesn't set up, like, how the magical being of Santa Claus came to be. It it sets up, like, how the tradition of the Santa mythos came to be. Like, it doesn't explain how Santa gets around every night. It doesn't explain how, you know, he has the flying reindeer and everything, or how he knows who's good or who's bad. It just explains, like, this small story... Of these people in this one town becoming more selfless and generous towards each other through a few selfless acts by a few people. And it then just ends with him becoming Santa, becoming this immortal, magical figure simply because he lived his life being good and generous to others. And it doesn't explain why. It doesn't need to explain why because that's not the point. The point is that, like, you know, that generosity sparked something that lasts forever. No, plot hole. It's a plot hole. They didn't they didn't explain the rules. <laughs> I need all the rules explained. Two out of ten. Oh, you know, movie. You know plot what holes. fucking broke my brain today is that, like, somebody said, you know, everybody talks about magic systems and fantasy settings, but, like, what the fuck is the magic system in Lord of the Rings? Like, how does anybody do what they do in Lord of the Rings? Like Tolkien took Tolkien took years to set up a whole language for every single race in that series. But like, can you tell me what abilities Gandalf has? Wizard. He's, he he's has a, wizard power. He's, he's wizard. He saw a giant monster come at him, and he knocked down a bridge, killing himself with it. Like that was his end goal. 
<laughs> anyway, he came back though. He transcended. He did, but like, there's no explanation as to how or why. But anyway, completely off topic. And I'm no, I just pissed off a ton of Lord of the Rings fans by saying that. Who are probably never going to see this, but if any of them do, I'm sure they'll spam the comments. Um, well, well, it's because depending on this kind of story and how you tell it. The the hows don't matter. Right, absolutely. The hows the hows do not matter. Absolutely. But um, I I just I I just made the plot hole joke because it's like I'm so beyond tired of like plot hole bros thinking yeah. they're clever by by like purposely missing the point of certain narratives just to like try to like one up people who mm-hmm. like things you know. <clears throat> right. Um, Cause I can totally see some people being like, oh, <laughs> I just, I just, I just didn't understand like why they couldn't like, like why is there just like how how could he just become Sanhattan because of the the magic? Yeah. They didn't explain it. Deus ex machina. <laughs> but anyway, I'm being needlessly negative for no yeah. reason. I'm sure there'll um, be some of that in review review. <laughs> probably. I want to talk about something that's kind of maybe a nerd ethics question. Um, okay. What do we think about this whole, like, idea of material incentive through gift-giving for good moral behavior? Because the movie sets up that, like, <sighs> Jesper set, like, basically tells oh, the kids you have to act um, good. First of all, say something, because you cut out a second there. Hang on. Again. And, uh... Oh. I'm back. Son of a bitch, why? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> okay. That's a good question, because... The movie kind of, you could make the argument the movie kind of sort of reinforces that, you know, Mm -hmm. good acts through gift giving. I don't, I don't know. This this could take me down a whole, you know, people celebrate Christmas for the wrong reasons, tangent and commercialism and Mm -hmm. the, the purpose of the holiday has been bastardized and yada, yada, yada. But how it's framed in this movie like the gift giving causing positivity and nice acts and stuff like that it's 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 because it's it's made the children happy like we first see this village and it's just like it's cold it's stark it's gray it's dingy everybody hates each other nobody's having any fun and then just the simple act of you know giving a little toy to like kids completely brightens their day because like hey you know somebody's thinking of me like i'm having fun this is nice and like it uses a lot of color in a good way because the toys are colorful in this environment of like grays and whites and blacks and stuff like that like you get little pops of color with the toys and then like slowly like you see more light shining in the village and stuff like that as more positivity is being infused through the community and stuff like that. So I guess to kind of uh, answer your question, which I think I kind of got off the rails a little bit in context of the movie, I don't think it's a problem, but in a wider context, I don't have the energy to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, here, here's my thought in terms of the wider context of, like, material incentive for good behavior, uh, specifically when we target that towards children. And it's the fact that, like, morality is not an inherent thing that exists within the human psyche. Like, m- empathy is. 
empathy and sympathy are things that may be considered inherent to humans, but like morality itself is a learned set of behaviors and practices. Um, Indeed. Yeah, but like I think having like a system where you teach a child to do good things and reward them for doing those good things with like you know, a material item or something that brings them joy, like a toy or such. I don't have any problem with like the idea of learning behaviors in this way. I think when we think of it, we think of it like it's too clinical. It makes it too like, you know, like morality doesn't matter. And it's like, just because morality is learned, doesn't make it any less important, you know? Just because morality isn't something that's just inherently stuck in our brains at birth, doesn't mean that, like, it doesn't matter for us to be moral pe- beings, because being moral allows us to live more, like, f- happy, long, meaningful lives, which is, which the movie shows here. The movie shows that, like, the fact that everybody is kind to one another improves the quality of their lives. Like, they start having, like, potlucks and, like, village get-togethers and everything. They start, like, cleaning up their schools. They start cleaning up, like, their community and everything. Like, the generosity and goodwill towards one another makes their lives better. And I don't have any problem with us having a sort of pragmatic approach to this idea of, like, teaching children to do good things. Because, like, it still leads to good behavior. And over time, you don't have to have that sort of like, over time, the reward itself becomes the result, you know? Over time, you don't have to keep giving them toys or whatever whenever they do good things. They'll start to see that, like, the good things themselves create the rewards that they desire. Yeah, uh, you cut out there for another 20 seconds. Um, So I... I think I agree with everything you said, and you came back there at the end, so I can't intelligently counter as much as I want to, but I think you kind of got into what I was going to talk about, about how, I think you already touched on this, so if it's redundant, just cut it out, I guess. But, Whatever. Like, all the kids, like, they don't, like, they're not just in it for the toys, like, the gimme, 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 like, it's because they're being shown kindness that they're able to open up. And, like, they start playing with each other, like, the two families. Yeah. Like, they start having fun, and, like, those barriers break down because they're so flimsy to begin with, you know? Yeah. So, in context of the movie, all, like, the objects given to them, the the materialism, if you will, that's just a catalyst. It's not, like, it's not the cause. It's just the catalyst for the change. Yeah. I think this, I think this movie does a great job of showing the value in gift giving, not in the commercial sense of like, oh, you get something that you want, hooray, goody, goody, but in the sense of like, you get to see the joy in another's eyes after you show them an act of goodwill and selflessness. This movie, I think, generosity is so core to this film, and I I, I love the fact that it shows how gift giving can be a good thing instead of this commercial like drag that it's become nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. And it's worth noting that the adults of the two families, um, through their machinations, try to sabotage Klaus and Jesper and all that so they can uphold their stupid, hateful tradition. They don't like they don't stop and change their minds because of like, you know, because they get 
dressed down verbally or something by Klaus and Jesper or anything like that, or because like they were given something. Um, they stop because two of their children on either side fall in love. And that's <laughs> what finally opens their eyes. Not not materialism, but love. You yeah. know, the, the age-old, you know, just problem resolver in fiction. Yeah. Although you can argue that the two elders never really do, because they, they look pretty miserable there at the finale. <laughs> like, there's an... Yeah, oh, but... But they were never going to change. You know? There's, like, one elder on for each family, and it's, like, it's perfectly opposed to the, um, the crumbs have this skinny old woman, and the Ellingbos have this big, fat old man, and, like, they're just, like, the leaders, and they're so different, and it's perfect to show how like how opposed these two families are and even for most of it like it really doesn't matter how they're for the families you don't really see too much difference between them they just hate each other for some reason but between these two elders you can see like their two ideologies fundamentally like opposed to one another the Ellingbos are like these big loud brass people and the crumbs are these more like reserved serious people even though that's not actually how they are at all, their differences break down as their children start to realize, hey, we can have fun together and, you know, be friends and everything. It's 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 a very obvious sort of, you know, metaphor for like, the, you know, the surface differences in people, you know, don't matter and all that, you know, yada yada stuff. But mm -hmm. it's 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 not like cloying or anything. It's 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 really fun how it's visually represented, how like everything in the in the town is just like, you know, split down, you know, the center and like everything's all like jagged and gross and shit. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> the design of Smearinsburg is fantastic. It's all built out of like leftover shipwrecks or stuff because it's like all it's like this island town and like everything is built like thrown together by broken up ships and everything and it looks like it's just kind of thrown together because it keeps getting knocked down like they keep like blowing each other's houses apart and just causing arson and all these other wild things to one another so it makes sense that their town is just kind of like this ramshackle cobble pot of everything that they can find and fix out of the pieces left over once they you know destroy each other's homes and and there's also a really good theme of fighting ignorance mm -hmm. and promoting knowledge and education yeah. through the the teacher character and how like you know I, I don't want to get too political but how society needs to get the hell out of its own way mm -hmm. and and realize the value of educating your children and not letting your own petty biases get in the way of that mm -hmm. um because I can't specifically remember the backstory of Alva, the teacher. Why was she just in the fish mart? She and just well, it was a school, but she came to this island wanting to like bring education and enlightenment to this town that she had heard about. But she finds out That's that right. nobody yeah. sends their kids to school yeah, okay. because yeah. if they would, then they'd intermingle with the other family's kids, and nobody wants that. So she just ended up running a fish market and becoming bitter and everything. But then Jesper gets these things going, and he tells the kids basically like, "Hey, you got to write letters to Santa or to Klaus." if you want presents and a lot of them are like we can't write we never learned how to write yeah, yeah. 
And he's like, well, go to school then. And they they just show up in her fish market and they're like, teach us how to rot. And she's like, she's like, fine. And then she gets a whole arc of like becoming, you know, passionate and loving what she does again after being embittered by this whole town of hatefulness and spite. Like she gets her joy brought back in life uh, again, accidentally because of Jesper. Jesper kind of just sent them to her because he's like, I need these little shits to learn how to write again so that they can send more letters to Santa. But, you know, if, if this works out, then great. A lot of what happens is like Jesper's selfish selfish actions just kind of accidentally leading to good results and him realizing over time that oh yeah it turns out that doing good things for others makes you feel good and ends up making the community better how about that i like alva because she's kind of your typical like oh my god i'm over it i'm jaded i'm cynical Mm -hmm. and um the kids are just sitting there just surrounded by hanging fish and she's chopping them up. She's like, and they're like, are you going to teach us something today? She's like, if I do, you leave. <laughs> like, yeah. And so like it cuts and there's just this little girl like scraping chalk on the chalkboard. Mm-hmm. And like, she just has this look on her. The Alva just has this look on her face. Like, Oh my God, make it end. And like, she taught her how to write her name. And it's just in this terrible scribble. And she's, she steps back and they can just like, it's so cute. She's just like, is that my name? And she's like, yeah. She's like, wow, teach me how to write more. And then she's like, God damn it. What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I also like how in a 95 minute movie, it also has something to say about, you know, the, the non, the lack of cynicism mm-hmm. of children. And, and they're, they're curious by nature, how, even though like, their authority figures and parents may like, you know, dictate nonsense to them. Their, their sort of like natural curiosity is going to take over given any opportunity. Yeah. And it's, it's played both for like heartwarming effect and also hilarious effect. The one kid you were talking about earlier who was like trapped up in his like attic or whatever, the one that like acted like his house is the prison. When Jesper first finds his drawing, the kid like asks him from the window, like, can you please give me back my drawing? And Jesper's like, I totally would, but you have to mail, I'm a mailman, so I have to mail it. <laughs> He's trying to basically rob this kid of a penny yeah. to give him back his own drawing. And the whole time, the kid just doesn't understand the process or what's going on. He's just like, couldn't you just put it in the mailbox? You're right there. Like, why do I have to give you a penny? He's just like, he's not like accusing Jesper of anything. He's just like so innocent. He doesn't understand what Jesper's trying to do. And it's so funny. That reminds me of the cutest kid character. Mm-hmm. In the movie, what's her name? M- M- Morga, Morgi, Margu, Margu. That reminded me. I wanted to look up the like the cultural Sami, you know, the Sami, Sami. Yeah, yeah, the cultural backstory of the Sami people because she kind of like and her family kind of like Klaus just kind of like live secluded from the rest of the village. Mm-hmm. And well, they're um, they're an actual like. Yeah, people. they're an actual people. Yeah, yeah, like a Northern European indigenous group that, like, yeah, it, it was really cool that this movie included them. J- just so you know, they're like a stand-in for the elves. Um, yeah. After, like, Klaus and uh, 
Jesper do a good thing for them, they show up and help set up like the whole operation for Christmas, which is just a beautiful thing because they have these bright, colorful clothes and like deep reds and blues and golds. And yeah, and that's the where one. Klaus gets his Santa suit. Yeah. So I I wanted to look up to see if like if there's any sort of like I'm sure there is like deeper connection with like the the myth of Santa and, and the Sami people in that region. Um, because I, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like just something they kind of just put in there willy nilly. Right. I don't know about their connection to the Santa culture in particular, but I do know that they are like an actual reindeer herding culture. Like they use reindeer in oh, okay. like that culture and everything. So there's probably cool. some like connection, at least with like the sort of aesthetics of the Santa myth mythos with them. But yeah, they, they were, they were a nice little, added flavor yeah. into the narrative that I appreciated. And Mark and is, so is just, just so adorable. She's so damn adorable. She just shows, she shows up. Yeah. <laughs> she shows up speaking her language and Jasper doesn't understand because she wants to give a letter. And he's just like, oh you have a you have the you have a penny or whatever? And she's like she's like, huh? And he, he like opens the door and just like pushes her <laughs> side, like, out of the way. Oh uh, uh, yeah it's a it's a very charming movie, and I forgot how charming and, um, it's and very, multi-layered it is. It's very charming, and it's very funny, and some of its humor gets really dark with, like, the whole feud between the crumbs and the Ellingbows. Like, there's a joke that you see a couple of times where, like, these three older women are carrying this sack, this human-shaped sack, and, like, a shoe falls out of it, and they're just, like, carrying it away somewhere. And then there's, like, a bunch of kids like creepily staring at Jesper as they stab like a snowman with carrots. Hang on a second. Fudge. I'm back. You hear me now? I can hear you. Oh, boy. Anyway, where did you lose me? You were just talking about how funny some of the the dark humor was in the movie that they slipped in. Like the three older women who are carrying the body bag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Then like the kids who like stab the snowman with like carrots and everything. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, pretty much every, like, house has, like, booby traps and, like, sharp edges and Mm -hmm. knives sticking out of it. Like, there's a lot of references to, like, these two families actually kill each other on the regular. Like, it doesn't hold back too much. Like, obviously, it's not going to show, like, a bloodied, mutilated corpse of one of them. But, like, it's very clear that, like, these two families' rivalry is serious. Yeah, they've, I mean, in in the exposition scene where um, they're talking about their rivalry through the ages, like, they're talking about battles and wars with each other mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah, they're they're used to taking each other's lives. And there was a there was a great mooning incident, which is a funny little because <laughs> I mean I don't care what anybody says, butts and poop and farts are funny. <laughs> they're always gonna be funny. I don't care. So <laughs> yeah, there's a funny gag about how like the each clan or family just like mooned each other. Mm-hmm. With a, with a funny, like, wooden diorama of it. <clears throat> oh, you know who's a great character that we haven't talked about? The fisherman guy? Yeah, Mogens. I love Mogens. Uh, he is played by Norm MacDonald, uh, the famous comedian who recently passed away. It was his last film role. Um, He was just... It, it's great because he's this super duper cynical, sarcastic asshole, which is kind of what Jesper is in the beginning. And like 
having somebody who's even higher tier asshole than Jesper lets us sort of start to become more and more endeared to Jesper because now we're like, oh my gosh, this guy is just ruining Jesper's life, even though Jesper kind of deserves it at the moment. You know, seeing this character who's being even more of a dick to him kind of makes us start to become endeared to this asshole, selfish character that is our protagonist. Like, it's a, it's a brilliant way to, like, help us in, get endeared to the protagonist because, like, when you see an asshole getting picked on by an even bigger asshole, then they start to look better by comparison. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really clever way to get you behind um, a character's goal. Mm-hmm. To um to create a, an obstacle that's even worse than they are, yeah. and he's so um, damn funny. <laughs> yeah, Mo- pretty much all the characters in this are completely well utilized. Mm-hmm. Um, even the romance between uh, Jesper and Alva, which you introduce her, you you think like, oh, I've seen family and kids movies like a million and one times. Of course, they're going to end up together. But even though there's not a lot of time dedicated to their romance it still ends up working for the overall point and message of the movie. So even like the obligatory romance has meaning and has a purpose and doesn't feel superfluous. Yeah. And and the fact that it's sort of secondary, it's pretty like kind of push the side works for this film because it's not the main focus. You know, the focus is on the relationship between Jesper and Klaus and how Klaus's selfless nature helps to make, you know, Jesper more selfless and how Jesper's more outgoing nature helps Klaus to, like, reach out to the community again. And it's it's kind of a way of, like, Jesper, like, honoring, you know, Klaus through his life because, you know, Klaus never got to have his family Mm. and... Jesper learns to be a better person through Klaus and, you know, he has his family, he has his wife and he has his kids and he, he looks forward to seeing his friend every year. <laughs> Such a good ending. Uh, Self cry. Um, <laughs> I really don't have much more to say. It's just a really good, solid family movie. Just a good, solid movie in general. Yeah, it, it's a fun new take on the Santa mythos that doesn't bother trying to match in with like real world mythology. It just comes up with its own. Um, It's deeply entrenched with this idea of generosity through gift giving being not just something that we do commercially, but something that has like a deeper meaning to the community that helps us better ourselves and our connections with each other. It's it's just a beautiful film, and it's literally beautiful. The art style and animation yeah. we talked about early on, it's 2D animation, but the way it's designed is so storybook with the lighting and color. Everything, like, stands out and pops, even when it's, like, a bunch of grays on the screen. Everything just looks so dynamic and beautiful. I, ju- I just love it. Nothing looks it, flat. Yeah, it's 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 incredible to look at. Like, I, I'd forgotten how great it looks. There are certain shots and they're not even like big money shots, but there, there are so many shots in this movie that kind of like take my breath away. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a shot when the first toy is delivered to the little boy and the way it's framed, like you see Klaus kind of like taking up a third of the frame and like, he's looking through the window and the window's like frosted over around the edges. And there's the golden orange glow of the, of the candle inside as he's looking at the boy and just the way that's framed, mm-hmm. the way it's lit and everything. It's like completely out of a storybook. It's 
So good. Yeah. So good. I swear I can tell every shot that James Baxter animates. I need to actually like go and see if there's any records of it. But like any time that like the that scene in particular that you were talking about where it's like the kids chasing the frog around his room and then like it's zooming in slowly on Klaus watching in the window. Anytime basically there's this insanely good fluid motion that seems impossible for 2D animation. Like, that's James Baxter at work. <laughs> I, God, like, you keep saying James Baxter, and, like, I just want to go, James Baxter. <laughs> I know, I know, because he had that Adventure <laughs> Time episode with the horse on the ball. Yes. But, like, I little, gotta, he's in I gotta so think much. that, like, I, I kind of almost want to say that the episode of Adventure Time is a big in-joke to James Baxter. It the is. Animator. It absolutely is. Oh my, yep, Wiki voiced by James Baxter. Yeah, what did you think it was? The whole, he animated that horse. I didn't know he animated the horse. I just thought it was a goofy, one-off, quirky episode of Adventure Time. No, no, no. The and whole like, joke is that he animated that. You never noticed how much better animated the horse was I than would, everything else in the episode? That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, no wonder why the horse is so beautifully animated in that episode. Yeah. James Baxter needs Oh, an, my God. No it's all coming together. Yeah. He needs no introduction. He's a legend of animation, but... um. I think probably his most iconic shot is in Beauty and the Beast, the chandelier shot, where, like, we start up at the very top of the room during the ballroom dance, and, like, the camera pans down to the two of them dancing, and it swings around them. Like, anytime you have a big sweeping shot that with, like, this fluid, perfect movement, that's James Baxter at work. Yeah, that, that God, that freaking Beauty and the Beast shot is just like it's, mm -hmm. it's like one of the iconic shots of film, not just yeah. animation. It's it's beautiful. It's like, how for how long did Disney use that shot in like their previews and promos and stuff after that movie came out? Oh, all they the used time. it for years. The fucking Lilo and Stitch, and Stitch yeah. yeah, when like Stitch would infiltrate all the other Disney movies, that was the shot they used because they knew it was their best one. I. Even though I was, God, I think I was only 12 when Lily and Stitch came out. Um, put that on the list for the pod because oh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's amazing. Um, I remember there actually being something of a controversy with those teasers where really? where he's where he's invading all of the classic quote unquote really? Disney movies. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, like I remember there being a bit of a like, oh, this is this is disrespectful and and it's you know it, it's bad like for you know it's it's disrespectful to the honor and the majesty of these disney classics oh. to have this this character come in and uh, bullshit like, it was oh cute and fun God. i like the one where he'd like showed up in aladdin while they're doing the whole new world sequence he just shows up he's like blaring the horn on his like spaceship or whatever oh god stitch is the best disney princess i don't mm -hmm. care i don't care what anybody says anyway last thoughts on klaus um, last thoughts on Klaus. Um, it overcomes its initial tropes that may seem overdone and tired with just really strong writing. So tack that on to what I said a couple minutes ago about it just being a really strong, beautiful movie. Like, mm -hmm. because there were a couple tropes that didn't introduce, and I was just kind of like, oh, this again. Like, okay, I know where this is going to go. And it, it, it handles everything in such a way that you don't care that you've seen this story a million times because it's handled so elegantly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. 
let's get into review review. Let's do it. Review review. Uh, Klaus has a 94% tomatometer and a 96% audience. People fucking love Klaus for good reason. First review comes from Mark F. Mark says, unlike other Christmas films, they don't oversaturate the elements associated with Christmas. And when they do, it's done more subtly, almost making it feel like it can be watched outside of the season. The animation is the film's highlight, something that I'm looking forward to see more of the future. But at times it makes the backgrounds look very flat. Five out of five stars. Uh, bullshit on making it look very flat, but I agree with everything else. Yeah, um, that was a good point about how like it's a Christmas movie, but it doesn't overdo the the, like, the Christmas iconography. Mm-hmm. Um, one because like it's like kind of the origins of Christmas iconography of, right. of modern Christmas iconography, um, and two because it kind of can't really to for it to be organic to the story. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's snow and there's stockings and stuff like that. Right. Most of the most of the actual film doesn't take place during Christmas time. You know, mm-hmm. like their whole like gift giving operation doesn't become a Christmas thing until towards the end of the movie. And another another fun twist on the traditions is there is a kid that called Jesper a loser mm-hmm. earlier in, in the movie, and like the whole like if you're a bad kid, you get cold in your stocking, like. That was just Jesper being a petty bitch. Yeah, I um, love it. Just like, I love on their it. initial like gift giving, like he just like notices he's in that kid's house and just tosses some some coal in his stocking. He's like, eh, "Who's the loser now?" Yeah, I think also what makes this a little more subtle is the fact that Klaus isn't the protagonist. Like we have a mm-hmm. different protagonist. That and Klaus isn't. You know, he's not Santa. Like not yet, at least. You know, he doesn't have the big red suit. He's not holly and jolly. He's generous, absolutely. But, like, he's a much more of a loner. He's much more reserved. He's much more serious. He's not this, like, big holly jolly figure that we know of as Santa Claus. And uh, even aesthetically, like, they go with the green instead of the red, which, yeah, there are interpretations of Santa with the green on, but his green is much more of, like, a subdued, sort of, like, natural-looking green green than like the brat green yeah. that we associate with Christmas. Like everything about him makes him much more of a regular looking person than the Santa figure that we know, which I think it yeah. does, is a great job because by the end we see him in his big red suit and everything, a very fun take on the suit with like all the Sami in like introduct like themes introduced into it. But we get to see him become that Santa Claus. Yeah, um, it's it's obviously I'm I'm not like steeped in deep Santa lore knowledge, but there are like certain cultures that like depict him as more of a woodsman mm-hmm. figure, mm-hmm. Uh, and as opposed to like the Saint Nicholas of Mira figure, um, and, and class is obviously more aligned with the with the woodsman. Yeah, depiction of of the myth than the the Saint Nicholas of Mira myth. Some um, of I don't, did, did, you, did you catch any like visual references to the Saint Nicholas, or is uh, that I mean, just jettisoned completely? I mean, there is so much Santa mythos, like from Santa is a conglomeration of like so many yeah. different cultures and everything. I I could not track everything on like a just a couple of viewings. I would have to sit down with like the, the Wikipedia pages open for every origin of Santa and like track everything where this came from. Like it, there is so much to Santa Claus as a figure. I, I was just curious to see if you picked up anything because I know you're you're a, you're a big Santa guy. I am. Uh, fun fact, just about Santa in general, one of the uh, inspirations of Santa is Odin. 
that I did hear. Yes, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah, in some stories, Odin would go around giving gifts to people uh, in disguise because uh, people don't know this about Odin in Norse mythology. I think Marvel's kind of got us as like this sort of brooding king figure, but Odin was really more of like a wandering trickster wizard than anything. He wasn't. He wasn't really like a uh, just a brooding warrior figure. He was more like the. I, I run around and try to gather knowledge, and sometimes I'll disguise myself and walk amongst mortals. But anyway, uh, that's an off-topic. Uh, another review. Let's see. Here's one from somebody who didn't like it too much. Oh, uh, yeah. This is from Laura R. Laura says, This invented tale of how Santa Claus gift-giving came to be is heartfelt, but a bit over the top for me. I don't need a Hatfield-McCoy feud in Scandinavia piled on top of a postal worker on top of a grieving Santa and a teacher fishmonger to understand the Christmas spirit. The real tale of St. Nicholas or of how our many Christmas traditions began, not to mention the biblical message, aren't even whispered about in this animated film, which seems strange to me. 3.5 out of 5 stars. Oh, okay. Uh, that's there's kind of a lot to unpack there. There is. Let's start. Let's start with the whole like biblical message because we touch on this a lot. The thing about Christmas at this point, and I'm gonna piss off every single evangelical Christian, but I've already done that in multiple other episodes. Who cares about pissing off evangelical? Yeah, Christians? it's not hard. It's so easy. Christmas is not about Christianity anymore. And if you still think it is, that's fine, whatever. But you can't force that on anybody else. The only thing Christian about Christmas anymore is the fact that they still have Christ in the name. Like, it has become so, so secularized. And that's because of multiple factors. One, capitalism. Yeah. One, capitalism that's literally just sucked any religious and, like, spiritual message out of it, which that's the negative aspect. Out of any holiday. Yeah, out of any holiday. But on a more general and perhaps more positive note, Christmas in particular is not a singular tradition or holiday. It is a conglomeration of numerous Yuletide festivities that has come together into a, like this sort of overarching holiday spirit. Don't, don't you say the P word. Don't you say the P word. Don't say the P word. Pa- pagan. Yeah, it's pagan. Yeah. <laughs> See, what you don't understand is they, wh- whoever you're addressing, they don't care mm. because they think you're talking out of your ass and perpetuating the, and I quote, war on Christmas. The war on Christmas, the liberal agenda. No, I, I mean, sorry, spend like five minutes on Wikipedia looking up the origins of Christmas and you'll realize that it. Oh, no, that's all liberal bullshit. Isaac. <laughs> Don't you understand? It's another ploy by the goddamn communist libs to destroy the sanctity of this country. There's like 50 at minimum cultures that have contributed to the image of Santa Claus in particular and mm. multiple other traditions at large. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. My my secular Christian view of it is the only one that matters. You, you just said secular Christian, which are oxymorons. <laughs> Whoops, my bad. <laughs> Whatever. My bad. <laughs> We're just using buzzwords now. You sound like a real Republican. <laughs> Hey, you know, I, I sounded stupid just now. Like, mm. like all Republican. Okay, yeah, I'm low-hanging fruit. I'm sorry. It's fine. Anyway, anyway, that's the biblical part. As far as the whole, like, Hatfield-McCoy feud that she didn't like in this, 
I guess. I mean, maybe she I wanted. I kind of get it. I can kind of get it if it's not what you were expecting. Right. You know, like, I can kind of get just not being on board for, like, a, oh, like, Santa slash Klaus isn't the main character. We follow this random mailman, and mm-hmm. there's, like, a feuding family. Like, this isn't very Santa E or Christmas. Like, I can see, like, expectations getting in the way and disappointing yeah. you. But, eh, never. I, th- I think the film does a great job of subverting those expectations, though. Like you said, this movie starts out with a lot of tropes that we've seen a lot before, and some of them it plays straight, but a lot of them it, it subverts in ways that are, like, heartwarming and beautiful. Yeah, and it's, hey, you know, it's a matter of taste. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it sounds like this person kind of let what they wanted the movie to be, like yeah. what they expected it to be, get in the way of what it was. Yeah, this one was anonymous. Uh, This review says, I was impressed with the way this film took ideas that seemed fantastical and gave a real-world explanation for them. It was such a charming and different way of approaching the various stories about St. Nick that we've all come to know. It is grounded in something that is magical, and I appreciated the way it pulls that off without stomping on the legends for any young kids watching. Four out of five stars. And yeah, I agree with that. I really like how this movie takes a lot of these magical elements of the Santa mythos and makes them more grounded and mundane, but in a way that's not like spiteful or cynical or anything more just like having fun with it yeah exactly because if somebody like hasn't seen this and hears like oh it's a grounded more realistic take of santa that might be like oh god come on why do we need to do that with santa like that's been that's such an overdone like tone to go with now but it's it's not it's not that really if you want that go watch fat man (laughs) yeah oh fat man that's a whole other movie that's a that's a good movie but it's a very different tone yeah it's it's not that really it it does all that to to earn the magic at the end yes that's a great way of putting it this sort of like building to the magic mythos of santa there's a couple others, but those are the, probably the best reviews. Uh, you want to get into recommendations? Fuck, I didn't even think of recommendations. You haven't thought of recommendations in a while now. I'm gonna um, get... Well, Fat Man. I recommend Fat Man. <laughs> Comple- <laughs> you like Klaus. For a completely different take on the Santa mythos and Santa as a figure, and a much more cynical interpretation of Santa Claus, go watch Fat Man. It's a good film. Very different. Very cynical. It's- it's an R-rated action thriller, mm-hmm. but it's not as edgy as one would think. No. Um, because despite all of like the gritty violence and the cursing and all that, like it actually has a happy-ish ending and a more positive sort of theme toward the end, which is which I appreciated. I appreciated it didn't like go for like the obvious like we're gonna end on a downer. Mm-hmm. With, with with this like Santa reimagining movie. Um, I don't want to spoil it because it's a recommendation, but um, yeah, seek out Fat Man. It came out last year. Um, it stars Mel Gibson, which might be a problem for some people. Totally understand. Yeah, but um, he's great in it. He's a good it's, actor. It's a, you can say it's it's a it's a clever movie, and it has a great villain. It has a fantastic <laughs> villain. <laughs> yeah, two fantastic villains. But I do have another wreck. Yeah, um, go for it. It's also called Klaus, basically. Um, it's by Grant Morrison, who is one of my favorite comic writers. We've discussed um, them before on the pod. It is a take on the woodsman myth of, of Santa. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just really cool. It's, it's got action, and it's got magic, and it's got mm, fantasy, and it's just it's really cool. 
So oh, this looks badass. I, don't, I, I can't believe I've never seen this before. Yeah, I can't believe it either. It's awesome. Give it a read. Yeah, it looks awesome. My recommendations, I'm not going to recommend movies. I'm going to recommend television Christmas specials. Um, <laughs> the first one I'm going to, and I'm, both of these have a theme of sort of like the positive aspect of gift giving and generosity through it. Uh, the first one I'm going to recommend is probably one that a lot of people have seen the SpongeBob SquarePants Christmas special, AKA Christmas who, uh, which was like their first Christmas special. I'm sure they've had multiple others since then. Uh, basically the residents of bikini bottom learn about Christmas for the first time and everyone gets into it except for Squidward because you know, he's the downer. He's always the one who's like the negative Nelly. Um, but everybody gets into Christmas. Everybody loves it, but they're all disappointed when Santa doesn't show up. Um, Squidward makes fun of SpongeBob, but then feels bad about it and disguises himself as Santa and starts giving out presents to everybody to make everybody feel better. Uh, it's a very classic Grinch story told through a classic cartoon. It's just, it's very funny. It's very fun. And it's, it's one of Squidward's better episodes because he can come off as an ass a lot, but this is a great one to show that like Squidward's got a heart. He's just kind of cynical about everything. Yeah, it's. It's one of my favorite SpongeBob episodes, classic. And I mean, it's been memed to death, but we're all Squidward now. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, we just are. We just are. Mm-hmm. It's also got a fun song in it where they're all going, "This Christmas feels like the very first Christmas to me." The other one I'm going to recommend is from Ducktales 2017. Uh, it's called "How Santa Stole Christmas." This episode in particular has some spoilers for the DuckTales 2017 series, so if you're interested in that series, I recommend watching from the beginning and working up to there. But if you have no interest in the series at whole, this is still like a good Christmas special. Basically, Uncle Scrooge um, reveals that he helped establish Christmas with Santa Claus. He and Santa were like partners back in the day, which if that doesn't make any sense to you in <laughs> DuckTales 27 series, it's basically like a running gag that Scrooge is this ancient, ancient person who's basically immortal. But Scrooge reveals that he helped Santa set up Christmas, but he claims that Santa swindled him out of the holiday once it became popular. Santa Claus in this, because it's like a Disney series with like a bunch of anthropomorphic animals, he's a polar bear, which is very cute. And this is one of my favorite depictions of Santa because it's Santa as sort of like, he's still very generous, he's still very giving, but he's also very naive and kind of stupid. Like, he's very much like, oh, we can just do anything that will, like, anything that makes everybody happy is going to make everything work out in the end. There's a, literally a part where they're getting chased by like a killer snowman and he just walks up to it and he like offers it a present in exchange for what they're trying to get. And the snowman almost kills him and he's like you're not being very holly and jolly right now it's it's a very fun uh funny interpretation of santa and he also has like this beautiful beautiful explanation as to like why he gives out gifts and i'm not gonna spoil it but it's maybe my favorite explanation as to like why santa does what he does um it's a beautiful episode that really explains like the positivity of gift giving and generosity and the whole spirit of just doing things for others with no expectations in return god i guess i have so much shit on my list i guess i gotta get to ducktales because you've been seeing its praise for a while now ducktales 2017 is a fantastic series just in general i highly recommend it 
It's it's so funny. It's very like interesting with all the mysteries and like action sequences it sets up. Um, it's very heartfelt with like its themes of family and everything. It's a it's just so well done. Um, though I do I can understand ha- people having trouble getting on board with uh, a positive depiction of a multi billionaire nowadays. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean. Yeah, but at the same time, it's a cartoon about a about a bunch of ducks. Like, just yeah. If if it makes you feel better, there's some running gags about that and like how he tries to explain how he helps the economy and everything, and they pretty much just call bullshit on him. So, uh, well, at least there's a, a somewhat of a degree of self awareness. There's there. a semblance of self awareness. Ironic coming from Disney. Anyway, those are my two recommendations. Want to do some ratings? Uh, what would you rate Klaus? I would rate Klaus nine ambiguously divine wins out of ten. Okay. I'm going to give Klaus a seven out of eight reindeer. Um, here, here's what I will say about Klaus, maybe. Uh, even though I think Tokyo Godfathers is the better movie overall, I think I like Klaus more as a Christmas film. Like, both of them are good Christmas movies, don't get me wrong. Um, But there's a little bit more in Klaus that I think connects to the specific elements of the Christmas spirit, specifically with, like, the Santa mythos, gift-giving, and generosity through that. Whereas Tokyo Godfathers touches on those sort of Christmas elements, but also touches on more heavy elements of, like, transphobia and societal burden and all of this. It's... Tokyo I mean, Godfathers. They're totally different films, right? They are. They are. They're very different films. Um, I think Tokyo Godfathers is the better of the two, but if I'm looking for my Christmas warm fuzzies, I would probably head towards Klaus first. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one's basically. I don't know. Is Tokyo Godfathers rated? Because if, if it is, I mean, it's R. It's a, it's a rated oh, R. Oh, yeah. It's a much. Klaus is PG at most. Yeah. Yeah, they're very different films. But speaking of Tokyo Godfathers, thank you for joining us here on Tug and Cheer. And remember our tagline, which has been set in stone for all eternity now. Do not throw your baby in the garbage. Was it the garbage or trash? Trash shit. Now we've got our... Don't throw your baby in the trash. Everybody, don't throw your babies in the trash. I think it's trash. Yes, trash trash sounds better than garbage. Okay. Don't throw your baby in the trash. Good night, everybody. Oh.